Thanks for joining us for another amazing message from C3 Church Calgary. Our hope is that our podcast will equip and connect you to Jesus. Now prepare your hearts to receiving something new from God today. Come to Calgary, to Mount Zion. You know, it is great to be here. I, I think you've got to get some kind of sense of worth as a church about uh, the, your strategic nature to our particular movement, and, which is a work of God, not just a good idea or a God idea. And uh, the God has given you the favor and grace as a congregation to be the locum of uh, headquarters, if you like. And that puts a Zion effect upon you because Zion was the spiritual center. It was the center within the center. Mm. It's the city within the city. And many of the great prophecies concerning the church are molded and languaged in the Old Testament paradigm of Zion. It says, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord and he will teach us of his ways. And the Bible says, nations will stream into Zion. I think you could go on a treasure hunt like your Easter egg hunt coming up and dig out all the great promises of Zion and say, we have the Zion effect here. Because God's got a calling on this church to be a center of our movement, to be a place where people will come and they will go back out to the nations. You know, that great prophecy in, was it, Isaiah 2? It says, and he will teach us of his ways. And it says, the nations will come and then they'll go back out with his word. That's what's happening. So you're uniquely graced in place. So keep coming to church. <laughs> Well, that's a free prophecy, really. I, you know, I just gave you that one as a, an add-on. But I've got a great little thing to share with you conceptually. I hope it's going to be encouraging because in, in the, I felt it in this morning's service, but I really feel it here um, in a sense of that for this, is, this word is for some, very specific. I think it's for all. But it's for some very specifically, and I want to speak into this. If I have a, if I have a kind of like a word of knowledge element going on, and the reasons for this, and what I'm feeling about bringing this word, and what will take this from being a preach to a prophecy to some of you, I don't mean that I will prophesy, but the preaching will be a prophecy. It's because I believe there's people here who are suffering in the after effects of making what they considered a good decision. And if there's anything that kind of spiritually defrauds us, you know, the letdown of doing something noble and right and doing something which we feel is, is righteous, we might feel it's even God, even though we haven't quite got a sense of direction about it, but we've made a decision. We've bought a property or took up a business or shifted our kids from a school to another district or school or uh, we, we, we opted for a job 
opportunity uh, in another company or even within the same company that seemed to be the thing we really wanted. Uh, we, um, we, we bought a certain kind of car. We lived a dream and thought this is, the, this is what we want. And whatever and however and where any these kind of decisions get made in the, you know, in the, in the whole milieu of decisions that we make, sometimes we make these good decisions, noble decisions, and, and with a sense of right, but the consequences aren't great. The car which we bought ends up being a lemon. <laughs> yeah. We find that it had an accident back in 19, not 19, that would make it too old, but you know, uh, you know, it's got, a, it's got a bent chassis or something. Even that makes it too old. They don't have chassis, you know. But, you know, those are all the... Anyway. <laughs> the job we took, we ended up getting placed next to a, a person who was a crook, and we somehow got blamed for being part of the, the deal. Or we took the kids to another district because we, we liked the values of the school, and in that... Some things happen that leave us grossly disappointed or, you know, whatever those decisions are, they're not evil, they're not bad. They were not even schemes of, you know, just personal preference for advantage that we had in a selfish kind of way. And yet, often in life, sometimes in life, put it that way better, sometimes in life the consequences are not so great and then we're left second-guessing or wondering I don't think that was God, you know. I want to speak into that, and if that sort of describes somewhat either in detail or in general, you listen up because God is speaking to you today. The Word of the Lord wants to come to you and bring you encouragement. God is God of your mistake department too. In 3 John 1 verse 2, it says this, Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. Let's put the horse at the front of the cart. As it goes well with your soul. That all may go well with you. May you be in health and prosper as you do in your soul. A lot depends on the condition of your inner person. A lot depends on, on you taking care of your soul and the rest will follow into a good place. Now, without getting too theological, I'm just picking up the idea that we're a tripart being. We've got three parts to us. Body, soul, and spirit. There's some discussion in theological circles where that's a legit thing to do. And the problem with segmenting it is, is that we get into other kinds of error where we, where, we, where we consider things soulish as evil and things of the body and, and this world as evil and the only thing that's right is good. But God made you a complete being that is completely constructed and... and, and um, it cannot be separated in the ultimate end uh, before God, even bodily, because at the end of the day, He does not leave you as a wafting, lofty spirit floating through space. He gives you a resurrection body. 
You're going to celebrate at Easter. And let me tell you, the theological importance of that is you don't need a body if you're not going to live in a physical world. And so the afterlife is the meeting of heaven and earth, a new heaven and a new earth, and there is a new physicality. So for you, those of you who thought you were going to, oh, I can't wait to get out of this body and fly. <laughs> well, I'm going to tell you, you're a creepy wafting spirit. Because God's going to locate you in a body, a better body, a good one, a self-repairing, healthy always, non-dying body. I don't know what age he's going to pick that we live in, you know. Do I look like when I'm 30 or 20? I, I hope I don't look like what I am now, you know. I've got a sunken chest and... I know I'm on the level because the bubble's in the middle, but... You know, when I was in my 20s, I was really a skinny guy. Truly. No kidding. You don't believe me. I used to have to wear skis in the bathtub so I wouldn't go down the plug hole. My pajamas only had one stripe on them. But I got in trouble with the law because I got head up for no visible means of support. <laughs> Such was life in my 20s. But I got married and I got well fed. But anyway, let's get back to the story. <laughs> we have to take care of our soul. You can see my presentation here. It's going to be based on a story because... That's kind of representing something. I, need, I just need to throw this back out because I wandered a bit off my path there. But um, you're a tripart being and you have a soul and you have a spirit and you have a body. And your soul is self-conscious, mind, will, and emotions. You're self-aware. Your spirit is God-conscious. Your spirit responds to revelation and the quickening of the Spirit. God is active in touching you spirit-wise. Revelation comes, and your soul responds to the revelation, and it becomes rational. You understand something. But your initial touches of God are beyond your understanding. And he moves on you. And he reveals, and before you know it, you're embracing him consciously. It's a marvelous thought that God's initiative towards us precedes our initiative towards him. And he's initiating that initiative towards all men, all mankind. There, I'm doing it again. I'm not very PC. All humankind. <laughs> So we're uniquely made as spirit and soul creatures in all of what God has made. And with that becomes this unique, we, we have this unique capacity to speak. We are speech creatures. We can take abstract and we can relate it to one another in a non-physical way. We use words. We communicate. We're very different from anything else God has created. And all I'm saying all of that for is to say there is a great power in talk. 
The worlds were created by talk. God spoke by voice, by giving voice to thought. It's a very important thing. I'm not, I'm not running down the track here this morning of kind of name it and claim it, you know, blab it and grab it. That, that you know, whatever good or whatever, I, that's not what I'm doing. But I am saying to you that you are a uniquely created element of God's whole creation as a spirit and soul person, and you are uniquely commensurate with that, uniquely gifted with the ability to speak and take abstract and relate it across the room in words. Speaking is, is a high order. I think we're gonna I think we're gonna understand it even more. You know, Jesus is called the word. What is that? The voice? And so our spirit speaks as well. Paul says, man, when we pray in tongues, it's not me in my mind speaking, it's not my soul, but he says, my spirit prays. But then our soul speaks. And the word meditate, particularly in the Old Testament, has the connotation in it of mumbling coherently, of muttering to yourself. The, the Bible idea of meditation is not sitting cross-legged and contemplating. It's not getting a mantra and emptying your head. I, I go to Southeast Asia, you know, I'm out in the back blocks of Siam Reap and uh, Cambodia and I'm in this old hotel and in the early, early hours of the morning I hear and just across the river there's a pagoda and the Buddhist monks are saying their mantra. Part of the idea of that is to empty the space. Well, my mother used to reckon it was pretty empty in me anyway, but... As Christians, we don't meditate to empty the space. What we do is we mutter to load the space with God thoughts. We're not emptying, we're filling. We're muttering. Now, I'm, that's just going to pull into the story now. David said in Psalm 63, he said, My soul will be satisfied when I meditate on you in the watches of the night. Do you go to bed talking to yourself? Sometimes we do. We're talking negatively because it works in, re in the reverse order as well. Other times we go and we chew over, Lord, thank you for what you've done today. But let me take you to this story. 1 Samuel 30. David. David had run foul, not because of anything he did, but because of God's anointing on him and God's appointing him to become the future king. And the awareness of all of this in King Saul, whom David served with utmost loyalty and honorably, the awareness of this erupted in a jealous rage and Saul at moments of rage would even throw his spear at David in the courts where David was serving him. So it got to the point 
that David decided it would be better to get out of here. And so he did. And as time goes on, people are realizing that the Lord is with David and not with Saul. We're cutting a lot out of the story. And so people are defecting to David, but he's not leading an insurrection himself. He's not growing a political party. He's not building a revolution, fueling a revolution, but people are are coming over to him. And in actual fact, he's doing the opposite of a revolution. He's evading, not invading. And so Saul starts chasing him. And David goes up to Achish and takes his armed men with him. And while he's away doing his noble deed, the Amalekites come down. Now, the Amalekites, I don't know how to describe these people, but they're the kind of people that wander around looking for an opportunity to plunder and pillage. They're just like perpetual Vikings. (laughs) And these guys realize that Ziklag is now undefended. All the women and children are there, maybe some guys who were not in the fighting force. And of course, all the loot and the livestock. So these stinking opportunists Bible says, don't give the devil an opportunity. These stinking opportunists come in on Ziklag, capture the lot, all the men, women, and children that were there, all the livestock, plunder the place, set the place on fire, and then march off with it. Now, David and his mighty men, who are out doing good deeds, honorable, come back home. And they see the smoke rising out of the stronghold. And when they get in, there's nobody around and everything's wrecked and trashed. Have you ever had somebody break into your home and just violate your space by wrecking everything? That's what it was like. And this is the end result of that. In verse 6, at the beginning, and David was greatly distressed for the people, that's the men that are with him, that's his faithful warriors, for David, for the people spoke of stoning him because all the people were bitter in soul, each for his sons and his daughters. This now David is facing an insurrection within his own ranks. And this all just started by doing a good deed. You know, what did I do? It was a good idea at the time. Where were you, God? You know, I was kind of acting on your behalf, doing, you know, what would Jesus do? And when I got home, the place was wrecked, plundered, destroyed. But worse than that all, of course, their families were gone. You can only imagine what that could mean with that stinking bunch of Amalekites. This is what David came home to. This is the devastation they were facing. But you see, David is the victim, get this, of a good idea. That's what I'm feeling here tonight, today. 
that some of you feel like you're the victim of a good idea, not the victim of a bad idea. We know what that's like. We usually go away from being a victim of a bad idea going, yeah, I got what I deserved there, didn't I? But when we become the victim of a good idea, there's a, there's a disorientation that takes place. Where are you, God? I thought. And kind of let fly at God in those moments. <laughs> but look how that story begins. David was greatly distressed. The people were greatly distressed. They spoke of stoning him. And look how it ends. Down in verse 18, it says this, and David recovered all and brought back all. I'm here with good news for you today. The prophet says God wants you to recover all. The word of the Lord says God wants you to go and get and bring it all back. The consequences of a good idea that wasn't a God idea may have produce some result in your life, but here today I'm telling you the good news that the Spirit of God has got a way of helping you fix that fix. <laughs> Jesus, help us. I'm feeling a little more serious this message than the last session. So I'm telling you, whoever God is seriously looking at, He's beaming at you with grace and desire to lift your heart to tell you that it ain't all over, Red Rover, till it's all over, and he's getting back involved in your situation to restore you and to get back what is yours. Let it be, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord. But what happened between that and that, what happened between verse 6a and 18 and 19? Well, you see it behind me. And David encouraged himself in the Lord, verse 6b. The first thing David did as he sort of went through the shockwaves of what's going on, now his own men are turning against him. David encouraged himself in the Lord. The next thing it says in verse 8 is that he inquired of the Lord should he pursue. So he was, never, he was not going to operate out of the good idea anymore. He was looking for the God idea. Even in, the, even in the rectifying of a mistake or a decision that didn't produce, he's going back to God saying, well, how do I fix this God? I'm not going to, you know, don't let me make just another great decision that's not good in its outcome. He seeks God. And then thirdly, God says, go, you go and pursue. And he hunted down, fought, and pursued. And that's where we get to the end here, where he recovered everything. Not one woman, not one child, not one man was hurt, tampered with, and all of the possessions were brought back. They retrieved everything. They recovered all. Wow. God is God of the mistake department. I told the... Told the service before about a, a church situation we faced many years ago back in Australia 
I think it was over a property decision we had made to invest or buy or in and as a church, as leaders, and, and it all went wrong, you know, it just like it was a disaster for the church financially. And oh dear, oh dear. And we have all the congregation, we have the people to sort of be answerable to. And one one lady in the congregation, she said, Well, I just want you pastors to know that God, you know, it's like she said, it's like the department store where they you don't have these anymore. We don't have these because we have the internet where we can shoot our mouths off very freely at anybody in a commercial zone that we don't like. But, but you know, they used to have these sort of um, departments for complaints. And they were usually sort of like down the side of a third floor, just opposite the elevator, there was a window. You know, complaints department. And you could take broken things there and things that didn't work. And if you didn't like the service person, you could go and lodge a complaint. Well, well, you know, um, this little woman comes down and says, it's like that in the, in the department store. She said, and God is behind the desk and he's the the God of the mistake department too. And this little woman, I, you know, because of us uh, being leaders, this little woman retrieved the leaders in that very grace-filled statement. And the church didn't split, go chaotic or mad or angry or point the finger. God is God of the mistake department too. We had a good idea, but it wasn't necessarily a God idea. But God can fix this too. Isn't that awesome? This is what David is doing. He, he goes, and as it says there, he encouraged himself in the Lord. I've got to tell you something about what's going on here. This is soul speak. So your men speak of stoning you. But you've got to watch. In a time of crisis, what you've got to watch when you get horrendously disoriented is that you don't make decisions out of desperation. The propensity is when the rage is on, when the heat's on, when it's painful, you will will rage and you'll make a decision out of that rage and that'll be a very bad decision. That won't be a good one, that, you know, a noble one. It'll be an ignoble one. <laughs> it will be like David's men saying, let's stone him. Well, that's the solution, isn't it? If they had a stone David, they would have written themselves out of the record of Scripture. And they would not be any more known as the mighty men of God. They would have failed to be part of the greatest Old Testament king of all, I think. And the, the great metaphor of Jesus, the shepherd king. But that's kind of by the by. But these men were angry and they spoke of stoning David. What you've got to be careful of in your time of crisis is the decisions you make. And this old mentor of mine said to me once in, the, in another, it seems like I go from church crisis, I don't know, I wonder if I ever figure out, I might produce them, you know. But in another church crisis, this 90-year-old former mentor of mine phones me up and he says, Graham, the decisions you make in the time of crisis will determine the quality of your future. So be careful when you're in the crisis. So here's David in crisis. Men, is, his, his army's in insurrection. And what does he do? He encourages himself in the Lord. How does he do that? I don't know. But I read some things in the Psalms like this. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Psalm 42. Psalm 43 says the same thing. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him. He didn't feel like praising God right then. He felt like God kind of didn't 
come to the party. He feels everything's against him. He's down. He's desperate. He's disoriented. He once had the kind of naive orientation towards God that everything was okay, that, uh, you know, he was living the dream. You know, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Leads me beside still waters. The pastures green, he leadeth me. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me. And he wakes up and surely and mercy have left him. It's great how jokes work twice, isn't it? All that idealism about never wanting. Now, it's, it's truth because in the end of the day, eternally, that will be so. But now he's into a time of disorientation. Why art thou disquieted within me? You read some of the Psalms? Some of them are downright ugly. Have a read. Don't do it today here because I don't want to depress the meeting anymore. <laughs> but go home and read Psalm 88. But, you know, bolster yourself a little bit. Man, some of, those, some of those psalms are pretty ugly. Because the psalms take the full gamut of human experience and turn them into prayer to God. Your prayer doesn't have to be perfect for it to be prayer. Oh, did, you, did any of you see that, that great clip of Bono going and to Eugene Peterson's home. Anybody ever seen that? Oh, it's a must. Get online, have a look. Bono, you two. Bono goes to Eugene Peterson's home. They're sitting discussing because here's the singer-songwriter talking with the man who's the, the, the master of understanding the Old Testament poetry literature. And these two great minds are together. And in that conversation, and, Peterson's talking about what we call imprecatory psalms, you know, where somebody who wrote a psalm is pretty messed up with life and whatever, and he says, God, poke their eyes out and fry them at the stake and, you know, rip them apart. All in a prayer. And, and Bono says, yes, 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 and, and you, know, you know, I sometimes swear, you know. And Peterson says something like this. He says, yes, well, the imprecatory psalms are the bad language of the psalmist speaking to God. Now, I'm not invoking you to go up and say bad things. But I am saying this, that the full gamut of human experience can be brought before God in prayer. You don't have to come in unauthentic. And this is David now in his depressed moment and his guys are going to stone him. They've lost everything. No wives. You know, you've got to think of this. Everything's gone. The pain, the whatever. And he's in this moment before he's heard back from God. And he goes, why art thou disquieted within me? Why are you in turmoil? Why are you depressed? Why are you so dead? It's like I did this this morning. I wrecked the microphone this morning too. But you know, he speaks to his soul. Soul! Come on, soul! Soul's going, don't talk to me. I'm angry right now. Come on, soul, I want to talk. Don't talk to me, soul's saying. There's a part of him that says, I don't want to talk to God. I don't feel like I want to thank God for anything. And David says, come on, soul, why are you out of squad? Why are you down? Come on, soul. And then David reloads the soul in another psalm with God thoughts. This is what I call soul speak. Speak to yourself. Get a grip. Take, you know, take your soul to task. 
You're feeling down, you're feeling depressed, you're feeling a bit mad at God, you're feeling mad at life. You did all that good stuff and it turned out bad. What are you going to do with that? Kick the walsh, you know, kick the cat. <laughs> then you'll lose the wife. Don't do that, guys. You know? But get a grip. Talk to your soul. Soul, come on, soul. Hope thou in God. The soul's going, how can I hope? I've lost everything. And they're about to kill me. Hope thou in God. So David, in another psalm, reloads his soul. He goes this. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who heals all your diseases, who forgives all your iniquities, who renews your life. Oh man, he's reloading his soul. And what we've got to do, there's, a, there's a little, another kind of thought like this in Psalm 119 where David says, David says, your word upon which you've caused me to hope have become my songs in the night. My meditation, in other words. David speaks to his soul. He says, come on, soul. Get out of this. Get back into flow with God. You've got to get a grip sometimes, Pete. And at times I'm, I'm livid and I suddenly realize what's going on. And I go, okay, God. It's not just the need of repentance. It's the need of speaking to yourself to bless the Lord, O oh my soul. Part of soul speak is this. It's the sacrifice of praise. It's the sacrifice. You know, there's only one sacrifice we take from the Old Testament into the New Testament life. Because let me just even re read your text on that. In uh, Psalm 116, 17, I will offer you the sacrifice of thanksgiving and call upon the name of the Lord. But in the New Testament, in Hebrews 13, verse 15, it says, Through him then let us continually offer up the sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of our lips. We're speech creatures. And what we do is we take that Old Testament sacrifice, all the other ones are fulfilled in Jesus, but this one we take with us because we have to deal with our soul. And we bring him the sacrifice of praise. Why is it called a sacrifice of praise? Because you don't want to do it? Because it costs you something to do it? And when you're down, depressed, driven, defeated, and in despair, and some dancing, happy, clappy, banner-waving, timbrel-tinkling, <laughs> renewal-oriented, charismatic, floats in front of you saying, bless the Lord, rejoice in the Lord always, you actually want to grab them from behind. And <laughs> your soul does not want to rejoice in the Lord always. Your soul does not want to pray without ceasing. Your soul does not want to give thanks in all things. But that's what Paul says for us to do in 1 Thessalonians. And soul speakers, when you speak to your soul, say, come on, soul, we're going to do this. And against the desire not to, you do this. And, and what, what that other psalm? Bless the Lord at all times. All kinds of times. His praise shall continually be a matter. I don't want to praise. Come on, praise God. Someone brought you to church today, and the last thing you wanted was to participate. You know, the best thing you can do is get a grip on your soul and participate. Because what you're happening is you're, what's happening when you're doing that is you're reloading your soul. And if it goes well with your soul, it'll go well with other things.
And if other things don't go well, at least you're well with your soul. What's the alternative? Thank you, Jesus. So soul speak is a sacrifice of praise. Soul speak is muttering and uttering God thoughts, thoughts that reorient our soul to God. I've got a thought coming in my spirit, and I've got to say this. I don't know whether there's a person here that's an interest in photography, or you've got a business there, or you've had some connection, maybe a father, or somebody's had that as an old hobby. I'm actually talking about making photos. But I've got a little kind of word of, for you. that the negatives that are made in the dark times, when the light of God shines through that negative, becomes a positive. And that in those dark places, God is developing another image that's good for you. Speak to your soul. Would you stand with me? Just at this moment, just in some of those more pointed points about there's people here that made decisions or if you have that sense of connection to that last little illustration I'm feeling, just as we're standing congregationally, just let's go to God. And let's speak to our soul. Bless the Lord, O my soul. I'm going to develop in this darkness a new positive. It's not about just positive talk. It's about the image of God that changes everything in the circumstance. This is what happened to David. Close your eyes. Look to God. Come, Holy Spirit. In that drivenness, that depression, that despair of a good decision proving not to be so bright. Where the negatives have developed a sense of being let down, ripped off. I come in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want to, in the name of Jesus, drive off that spirit of defeat. I want to drive off right now that spirit of despair, that lie of the devil that says, well, then you've you've failed and God failed you too because you just can't measure. But God, right now, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we say, get off. Satan, demons of despair, perpetual distress. Go in the name of Jesus. For in our dark rooms, we're going to get a hold of our soul. Say, bless the Lord. Why art thou disquieted within me? Soul, come on, soul. 
You speak to yourself while I'm praying. Come on, Saul. Why are you down? Hope in God, for I will yet praise Him. I mightn't feel like it right now this minute, but I will. I'm on a trajectory from this moment on. I'm going to pull myself up to get a grip and go, God, I'm for you. And even if you slay me, Lord, I'll still trust you. I'll love you because you have an undying love that goes beyond this life. And whatever reward I reap, it won't matter right now, Lord, because I'm leaning into the eternal and I'm leaning into the goodness of God. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not His benefits. It's the God that's loaded with benefits. The Bible says, who daily loads me with benefits. So come on, soul, bless the Lord. Give Him the sacrifice of praise. Give Him the sacrifice of praise. Thank you, Holy Ghost. You begin to lift your heart to God right now. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Give Him the sacrifice of praise. Lord, I don't feel like saying thank you. Don't feel like rejoicing, but I'm going to rejoice. I'm going to thank you. I'm going to pray. I'm going to lift my soul out of my doldrums because I, I, I'm going to bless you, the Lord at all times and continually praise you. Lord, it's going to be in my mouth and I'm, I'm not going to stop. I'm not going to let this take this out of me. I'm not going to be robbed in that essential part of my soul's well-being. Lord, I'm going to let this happen so that my spirit can quicken me. And Lord God, you'll deliver me from all of my fears because that's where that psalm goes. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I pray that we'll be walking, talking, muttering, Holy Ghost, soul-speaking beings today. And we'll take a new approach to dealing with our depressions. Thank you, Holy Ghost. I'd like to pray for people. Maybe you've been pinpointed by something I've said and you want to just stand up here. I'm, I'm, I'm not promising you much other than I want to lay hands on you and ask for the Holy Spirit to come and help you make the shift in your life to getting a grip of your soul. I'd love to pray for you. If you have that as a need, just come on up. Come and stand across the front right now. Depression, fear, disappointment, particularly disappointment. With a good idea, backfired. It made you question the integrity of God on your life. Or doubt yourself. Come, Holy Spirit. These people are going to go out of here today with a shift on their heart and minds. Not by sheer willpower, but by the encouragement of your word, the working of your spirit, and soul speak. Let the meditation of their heart be acceptable in your sight, O God. church we're gonna we're just gonna continue in this time of prayer and i just encourage you if you want prayer come up to the front um but we're gonna close the service now so i just want let's just give a big round of applause and thanks to pastor fletch for being here on loan from c3 vancouver so amazing like i said come up for prayer don't hesitate we've got an incredible team as well that can pray with you as well so through those doors 
walk sons and daughters that speak life to their soul. In Jesus' name, amen. You're released. Have a fantastic day. Go change your world. message has impacted you. For more information about what's going on, please check out our website at myc3church.ca. Now go change your world.